Well, good morning, church family. And welcome. Capital Press Fairfax. My name is JT, and I serve on uh, staff as one of your pastors within our Capital Press family. I'm the Rest in Sight pastor. Um, we're hoping to launch, just as we have Capital Press Fairfax here, we're hoping to launch Capital Press Rest in, in March of this coming year in 2022. And so um, we're, I, the, the group that we have going out to do that is, is excited, and it just uh, gets us further excited when we get to spend time here at Capital Press Fairfax. Um, Rob and I like to say, you know, sites are taking over, you know, taking over little by little. Our evil plan is working, right? Um, but this morning, we're continuing in our series, our Advent series. Um, so this is our week two. Uh, Advent communion kind of kicked off the series, so this is technically week two of, of our Advent uh, series. Um, and where we're looking at the miraculous births of the Bible. Uh, let me take a quick, just stroll poll, throw up your hand. Uh, who here grew up doing Advent in their church? Throw your hand up. Okay, more than 9 a.m. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And who here had no idea what Advent was? Right up. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I was in that camp. I had no idea what Advent was growing up. Um, in fact, like the church I was at did not do Advent um, the church I went, I got into kind of right into ministry. It was not an Advent doing church. We were like more smoke and lights and streamers and stuff like that. Um, it was a wild time. Um, and so Advent was not on our, it was not on our big list to do, right? But I found that I actually love Advent. It's become one of the seasons of the, the church tradition that I, I honestly like I favor more than, than any other season. And I love it because um, it has this dual focus, where we're remembering the way the church looks forward to Christ, but in the same way, we also join with them as we too look forward to Christ's second coming. So I love the fact it's almost, it's, it's, it's in very, there are very many, very few spots where we get to really join in the same emotions um, as the people that we often read about in the pages of Scripture. And this is one of the ways is through Advent, through this season of the church, and that's the purpose of it is that it gives us another opportunity in the life of the, in the year life cycle of the church to kind of join in, especially that Old Testament yearning for when Christ is going to come. And we're going to see that as we dig into our passage this morning, which is in Judges chapter 13. If you have your Bibles with you or you have uh, an app or something that can pull up uh, your Bible, then go ahead and open up to Judges chapter 13. That's where we're going to be at this morning. The title of the, pa- or the if you look at your bulletins, it says Samson. And while this passage is certainly about Samson, especially his birth, uh, really what it's about is his parents and this encounter that they have with this angel. And so what we're going to hope to kind of extrapolate from our text, rather than just talking about Samson, we want to we look at this text and gather lessons from it. Because we believe that there's no little part of Scripture. We believe that all of God's Word is there for us to learn, to understand, and to apply to our lives So I think there's some amazing lessons we have from Samson's parents as they interact with this angel from the Lord. Let's look together, though, at Judges chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. 
No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child should be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But, ben- but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, God, that you would indeed illuminate your word for us this morning. God, that by your Holy Spirit you would give us understanding, and that your Spirit would apply this passage to each and every one of our lives. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you enjoy 90s movies as much as I do, uh, you may be familiar with one of my personal favorites. Um, it's, uh, it involves the actor Bill Murray uh, in his 1993 movie release, Groundhog Day. Anyone remember this one? Groundhog Day? Okay. Um, Groundhog Day, uh, just to give you a little recap, uh, it's the main character who is Bill Murray. He's, his name is Phil in the movie. And Phil is a cynical TV weatherman who finds himself, himself in the small town of Punxsutawney. And he's there to film just a report about their annual Groundhog Day. However, Phil finds himself in some sort of time-space loop where he's reliving the same day each and every day. So every morning, 
no matter how he lived the previous day or how the day ended or whatever happened, he awakes on February 2nd in his bed in Punxsutawney at the Cherry Tree Inn, and he awakens to Sonny and Cher's I Got You Babe playing on the clock radio, right? At first, it's kind of cute and funny, and then by like the 50th time, he like destroys the clock, right? Because it's like, you know, put your little hand in mine. You know, it's that song, right? You guys get it. Um, It's just the same day over and over and over and over again. And while at first it seems a little fun, by like the 50th time, it's unbearable. The book of Judges is exactly like that. It's exactly like that. You read through the book of Judges, over and over and over and over and over and over again, you have the same story, the same situation, and it happens just repetitively. And at first, every single time you think that something different is going to happen, it doesn't. It's the same story over and over again. It's, it's God's people in a repetitive way over and over again, forgetting his promises, forgetting the Lord, and rejecting him with their lives. And this story is no different in Judges 13. But in the same way, we see the hand and the love of the Lord. This, uh, our, our Advent candle this morning represents love. In this Judges 13 passage, it, it, we see the love of the Lord consistently throughout. That even despite his people's forgetfulness of him, he pursues them. And he pursues them in, in one specific way, by raising up leaders in their midst. These leaders are called judges, right? And judges, we have to kind of get into the, the current day. Um, these judges are not the way that we understand judges. These are not like, they're not sitting in a court, right? And although some cases would come to them, um, these judges were primary military leaders. They're, especially in the book of Judges, their main role was to, to keep the people or to protect the people and relieve the people um, from the Philistines. The Philistines were, were the main enemies of the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. And our story in Judges 13 begins the same way. We see in verse 1 these words. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It says, So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now it would be easy for us just to fly by this verse and to get into the story of Manoah and his wife and this angel. But this verse is key to us understanding what is going on in this text. Key to us understanding what is going on, not just in the chapter of, of, of Judges 13, but in the, entire, in the entire book of Judges, if not the entire Old Testament. And what we, what we get from this passage is really our first lesson. Remember I said there's gonna, we're going to have four lessons that we're going to try and gather from this text. The first lesson is this. If you have a pen and paper, um, it's kind of a tongue twister, but, but you'll get where I'm going with it in a second. Its first lesson is the difficulty of blessing. And the second part of that is in the blessing of difficulty. The difficulty of blessing and the blessing of difficulty. Let's talk about that for a second. The first little part, what is the difficulty of blessing? In this passage in verse 1, what we see is that and throughout the book of Judges, the people of God are blessed by the Lord in so many different ways. He takes care of their financial needs. He takes care of, of, he protects them in so many different ways. He raises up these leaders in various forms. But over and over again, in the midst of their blessing, the difficulty they have is they forget him. They forget him. Over and over again, they are forgetful people. And rather than living out in this gratefulness to the Lord, they're forgetful. And that is the difficulty of blessing throughout the pages of Scripture. 
We're told in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, it kind of encapsulates this idea and this message of what the real threat and difficulty um, can be in blessing. It says these words, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna with, that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17 is central. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Friends, our first lesson we need to learn this morning from our text is to not be like that people. To, to even, that when the Lord blesses us as he does, Right? We all come in here often having at least had one meal, heading to a second meal. Right? We've got nice clothes on our backs. We've got cars to step into. The Lord blesses us in so many different ways. But it's so easy to become forgetful in the midst of his blessing. And it's so easy even more so, as, the te- as Deuteronomy says, for our hearts to begin to rise up in us. For us to say, it was my power. It was my might. Maybe it was my humor. Maybe it was my charisma. Maybe it was my education. Maybe it was my my academic prowess, whatever it may be. That's what gave me what I have. Friends, do not be fooled. It is the Lord who gives everything. And thus, all praise and gratefulness goes to him. It's one of the difficulties of blessing. But there's a second part of it. The second part of it, of this passage, the little second uh, half of the verse here in verse 1, is that there's also a blessing of difficulty. A blessing of difficulty. The passage in verse 1 of Judges 13 says this, So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. I don't know about you, but as a, as a modern-day thinker, I don't like that. I don't like that. I read that passage, and I, I want to say, oh, I don't like that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That's a long time, right? 40 years? Man, I'm not a fan of this. Lord, I don't know how I feel about this. But, what we, but, but don't be mistaken. What we see throughout the text of Scripture is that there is, there is a blessing in the midst of difficult moments. That the Lord uses difficult moments in our life, whatever that may be for you, to bring about blessing. You know, I, um, I'm just going to reference, if you're taking notes, Hebrews chapter 12 is a wonderful verse to go back and reference that kind of just drives home this point. But, you know, I, I was going through my, I, I'm brand new to uh, Twitter. You guys know Twitter, right? Yeah, I'm the only one that doesn't know Twitter. But um, I'm brand new to Twitter, and I've been trying to put it off for years because I, oh, Twitter's just like, I was telling Rob, I joined Twitter, and, like, the next day Rob's like, oh, man, you're blowing it up. You're on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving, right? It's just like, it's a mess on Twitter. I don't, I don't know if you know that, but I've, I've just come to terms with that. But, um, I have been following um, a guy that our pastoral staff, we quote, I think, more than anybody, which is Tim Keller, right? And Tim Keller had an awesome tweet yesterday. Um, if you don't know, he, um, 
He's in the midst of stage four pancreatic cancer. And he said this. He said, I have stage four pancreatic cancer, but it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows what I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. And therein is my hope and strength. There is blessing in the difficulties of life. Do not waste the difficulties that the Lord allows to come into your life because there is blessing in the midst of it. Um, one quick story, and I promise we'll move on. Um, I grew up and my dad was a builder. Um, he built his, his small little construction company into a thing that became um, a, a bigger uh, kind of uh, home construction company. And so he did um, some renovations and some, big, um, some, some home construction and all this other stuff. But I remember as the oldest in our family, I remember like all of the lean years. You know what I mean? Like the difficult years, the years when dad thought the company was going to go bankrupt and various things. And I remember even more intensely all of the times, because my dad was a small builder, so all of his loans were at the bank. He didn't really have investors at that time. And so he always had this sense of like when the loans were going to come due, right? When he needed to make sure these houses were sold. And there were more times than I can count on my fingers or toes um, that mom and dad would bring us kids together and we would come around the table or usually it was at bedtime around a bed when we do like prayer time and mom and dad would say, hey kids, we really need to pray to the Lord right now because dad's got a couple of these houses and they really need to sell. They really, really need, and we did that all the time. And I can tell you that in those moments of difficulty as a family, man, there was immense blessing. I look back on those moments of difficulty and trial and especially the really lean years, and those are the years that the Lord brought our family together in ways that he hasn't even since then. Those are memories that I remember about the faithfulness of God because you know what? Every house eventually got sold. There is blessing in the midst of difficulties in, 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 in life. And I would encourage you parents, you know, and you have to be wise about this, but don't shield your children from those things. If you shield your children from those things, they're never gonna learn those realities. Right? Sometimes as parents, especially Nova parents, we can shield our, want to shield our kids from everything and kind of create this, these Nova bubbles over our kids. Not good. Right? No, we want to invite them into the realities of life and allow them to see God's faithfulness on display in our own lives. Lesson number one, the difficulty of blessing and the blessing of difficulty. Our text continues, though, um, and we see that Manoah and Manoah's wife, and I refer to her as that because she does, she's not given a name in all of Scripture. So it's Manoah and his wife. They receive a, a, a promise from God. Manoah's wife is, is barren. She, she hasn't had any children. Um, and she receives a, an angel of the Lord that comes to her personally and tells her of this child that she's going to conceive. And she tells her that, that there's going to be this special child that's going to begin to save his people from the hand of the Philistines. She obviously goes to Manoah. He's like doesn't quite know what to do with it. But it leads us to our second point, which is simply this. The Lord gives promises to his people. I want to give you just kind of a quick thought exercise for a second. Let's, you know, we're here in church, so we, we're already assuming there's a God, right? But if you're here and you're not a believer, just for a second with me, assume that there is a God. Um, assume that there is a God. Assume that there is a deity of some form. The reality is, is that deity needs to do nothing for us. 
right? It's not compelled to do anything for humanity because at the end of the day, it's God. It can do whatever it wants. The beauty of the pages, the, the beauty of God as revealed in Scripture is that the God that we love, the God that we serve, the God that is, the God who is here, the God who is there, the God is everywhere, this God doesn't act like that. He gives good promises to his people. He gives good promises to his people. He didn't need to come to Manoah and his wife, but he did. He interacts with them. He comes down, he sends an angel and interacts with them on their level and gives them the promise of this child. Again, we see the love of God throughout the pages of this, this Old Testament passage. Furthermore, we need to remember, friends, for ourselves that the Lord gives good promises to us. Did you know there's 7,147 promises in the entirety of Scripture? Old Testament and New Testament combined. 7,147 promises that you can claim as a follower of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that every promise is yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means every promise, 7,147 promises, are for you. My question for you this morning is do you know what they are? Do you know what these promises are? Do you know what God has promised you for your life? Because let me suggest to you that, that many of the things we struggle with, there's, typic, there's, there's often a promise associated to it. Let me just really briefly give you, a, give you a few. The Lord promises to meet all of our needs, Philippians chapter 4. He promises to make firm our steps for all who delight in him, Psalm 37. He promises to relieve anxiety, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. He promises to give strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak, Isaiah 40. He promises to comfort us, Psalm 23. He promises to outdo us in giving, Malachi 3.10. He promises to give us wisdom, James 1.5. He promises to work out all things for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, Romans 8.28. He promises to keep Satan away from you, James 4.7. He promises that he who is a good steward and gathers money little by little will see it grow, Proverbs 13, 11. He promises that those who cling to Jesus to forgive all their sins, that they will be forgiven of their sins and purified, in, uh, purified from unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. Those are just 10 or 11 promises, but you have 7,147 of them. Let me encourage you. Know what those promises are. The Lord gives wonderful, beautiful promises for you and for me. Do we know them? Do we believe them? Do we pursue them in faith? The Lord gave a promise to Manoah and his wife that they were going to conceive and bear this child that was going to save the people of God from the hand of the Philistines. And what I love is from verses 6 through 20, we have an amazing um, response from Manoah and his wife. And I love it because it shows the reality of life. I love passages of scripture that just like speak to who we are as humans. And this passage does that. Um, third lesson for us is uh, we, we are provided with this passage proper responses to God's word. Proper responses to God's word. What do I mean by that? What do you do when a promise from God or something in scripture, whatever it may be, or maybe the Lord has given you some sort of inclination in life, right? He's guiding you or trying to kind of, uh, by his spirit, lead you to do something, and it's confusing. Whatever that thing may be, what if we are struggling with it? What should be your response? Manoah and his wife in Judges 13 give us some proper responses. What do they do? The first thing we see that Manoah does when his wife comes with this, this conversation from this angel, he goes to God in prayer. He prays to God in verses 8 through 9. 
So he goes to the Lord with, with, not just in prayer, but with his questions. Asking questions of God. Verse 8 says, uh, this is what Manoah says, or it says, Let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. He's asking questions and he's, he's making requests of the Lord. He's praying to God. That's one response. Secondly, we see that um, they're asking questions in the midst of this contemplation. Verses 11 through 14, we see that Manoah and his wife asked the angel of the Lord questions. Verse 12, it says, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? Right? They want to know more. They're, they're struggling with, with, with whatever this, this word is, and they're asking questions. And I want to say here this morning, it's worth us stopping here, wherever you're at in life, in faith, whether you uh, believe in Jesus and you're wrestling with some things, whether you believe in Jesus and you're, you're not wrestling with things, whether, whether um, your friends just kind of drug you here, right, and you, you're like, what is all this Jesus, God stuff? Wherever you find yourself in life, asking questions is a beautiful thing to do. We want to be a church where you can come with any and all of your questions. Ask questions, whether it be in a community group, whether it be with other church members, our elders, our deacons, board of women, with our, our past pastoral staff. We, we want to be a church where we can ask questions, whatever they may be. That's a natural response. And we see that by Manoah and his wife as they ask questions of this angel. The third thing they do is they have conversations. They have conversations with each other. Uh, we see this especially in verses 21 through 23, don't we? Um, at the end of the, end of the passage, um, you remember they, they're kind of creating this, they're creating this offering, um, this grain and this burnt offering to the Lord. And the angel, it says, like goes up in the fire. And what do we see that Manoah and his wife do? What do we see they do? They fall down to the ground, don't they? They're terrified. Right? I'd, I'd be terrified too, right? Be crazy. Um, but when they fall down to the ground, immediately they begin to have this interchange. And uh, Manoah, he begins to say, oh man, we're gonna be killed, right? We're gonna be killed. Like, because we've seen this thing that we shouldn't have seen, this holy thing, whatever, like, we're gonna be killed. And I love that uh, his wife, like, comes in with the logic that wives come in with, you know? Like, my wife was in the first service, and I literally said, I was like, okay, point five, guys, listen to your wives. Literally, that's what happens in this situation. Because his wife comes in with this just beautiful logic of, no, we're not gonna be killed, like, we've been with him this whole time. He's given us this mission. He tells us, like, what are you talking about, Manoah? You know, no, we're fine. We're fine. We're not going to be killed. The point is, is they have conversations in the midst of this moment. They have conversations. So those pray to God. They ask questions. They have conversations. But finally, we do see that they honor God in obedience. They honor God in obedience. They make a grain and burn offering to the Lord. They, they clearly believe what has been brought to them from this angel of the Lord. They believe the Lord and they do as he commands them. So they have four proper responses of praying, asking questions, having conversations, and finally honoring God in obedience. All of this brings us to our final and fourth little lesson of the morning. And that is this, that God's promises always come true. The very end of our passage simply says that, that, um, that, that Samson was born essentially, and that the Spirit of the Lord moved, uh, moved within him. It's important for us to remember that the Lord doesn't just make promises. He keeps them. He keeps all of his promises. Um, a story I, I, I gave at the 9 a.m. service, um, I'm happy to tell you all as well. Um, 
about six months ago. So we've, we've got four kids, uh, Josiah, Judah, Annabelle, and Isaiah. And so, you know, three boys, one girl. Um, and Annabelle, as our only girl, she's just, she just has daddy's heart. You know what I mean? Like, she's just, oh, she's a sweetheart. And the boys know that. Like, they get it. You know, every night before they go to bed, Annabelle's my favorite. Um, <laughs> solid parenting, right? No, no, I shouldn't do that. Uh, but Annabelle is just, yeah, so she's, she's got daddy's heart. And uh, we were at one of my boys' soccer games uh, like six months ago, and um, it was early in the morning, and I forget what was going on. And um, somehow in the midst of just kind of the craziness of trying to wrangle like the kids to soccer matches and stuff like that, I promised Annabelle um, that I would give her ice cream during the day. I promised her that, it would, that we would have ice cream at some point. I think it was like a barter type situation. You know what I mean? Like, please don't do that. I'll give you ice cream. I don't know what it was. But I think that was probably likely. But um, needless to say, throughout the rest of the day, we just had a packed day of going to another soccer game. And then we had some other errands we had to run. And then that evening we had a, um, some, some folks from church over. And so we, we had kind of a, or no, I'm sorry, we went over to some people's houses um, uh, that evening. And then um, that night we were coming home. And uh, I think I was doing something at, at our McLean location the next morning. So I was like, okay, we got to get home. It's late. We got to get, get in bed. And as we're driving, all my other kids are passed out, right? The boys in the, in the, in the minivan are just, they're out. But little Annabelle is in the back, and she's wide awake because she remembers something. And she says to me, Daddy, what about ice cream? I mean, it's like, it's, I mean, it had to have been like 15 minutes till 10 o'clock, right? I mean, it is, we have had a packed day. And we just had dessert at these, these, these people's house. Um, she goes, Daddy, what about ice cream? And I said, you know, I start trying to like deflect. Like, oh, honey, we already had dessert and da 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 We can't do ice cream. And she goes, but Daddy, you promised, right? And she says it in her little like voice that three and a half year olds have. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the little like cute voice that just like could get anything from you. And so she says, but Daddy, you promised. And I said, again, I'm deflecting. I'm like, yeah, honey, we'll do, we'll do ice cream tomorrow. And she starts to kind of well up in tears. But, Daddy, you promised. And I said, I know, honey, like, but we can do it tomorrow. It'll be great. We'll do Sundays. And, all this. and she says this to me. She goes, Daddy, you, you a liar. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm a pastor. What do I do here? Uh, oh, man. Anyways, um, what do you think we did? Got some ice cream. Um, the point is, the Lord is not a liar. He's a good, loving father. He keeps his promises. Every single one of them. Every promise that is yours in Christ Jesus, he keeps in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that the Lord is a good father who keeps every one of his promises. Samson is described as a special child who would come and to quote verse 5, save Israel from the, land, from the hand of the Philistines. But friends, we're told of another child. And Advent looks forward to that child's birth. We're told of this another child who in the first few verses of the New Testament, we're told that another angel would come to another couple to tell of this other child who would be born. But this child would not be raised up to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. No, this child, we're told in Matthew 1.21, these words. Again, the first few verses of the New Testament, these words. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The beauty of the gospel, friends, the difference as we move into the realities of Christ, is that you know the problem in the book of Judges? 
is that the people of God are continually forgetting God. And they're, they're leaving him and they're forgetting him and they're disobeying him. And over and over again, he's raising up leaders. And it seems like that as the Philistines come in, I have to imagine the people of God are simply thinking that the problems for us are out there. So Lord, raise up a judge, raise up a leader to, to relieve us from what's out there. But the pages of scripture are clear. The primary problem for us, friends, is not what's out there. The primary problem for us is what's in here. And Matthew 1.21 speaks to that. What is, what is Jesus going to save us from? Not from the hand of the Philistines, not from what's out there, but from what's in here. Jesus is going to save us from ourselves. He's going to save us from our sin. That's the gospel message. That's what points us to all the promises, all the realities, all of these Advent candles point us ultimately to Jesus. So friends, let me ask you this morning, have you put your trust in him? Have you put your faith in him? If you have, are you working by his word and by his spirit to grow more and more into his beautiful, perfect image as we all seek to be the people of God here on this earth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. And God, we thank you that all of your promises, every single one of them, 7,127 promises, are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we do pray, God, that you would warm our hearts this Advent season to those realities. Lord, that you would help us to see more and more who we are in Christ. And God, there are so many lessons in your word. So God, would you take those lessons little by little and work them into our lives so that we would more perfectly reflect your image and be your people here. In Christ's name we pray.